welcome to the Building Design Primetime Podcast. Focused on providing valuable information for anyone looking to undertake a new build or extension project. We'll share our tips, tricks and stories from a building designer's perspective. Welcome to the Building Design Primetime Podcast. Once again, we're joined by Frank Geskus, and we have a special guest on today. Welcome, Wayne Gorman. Thank you for the invitation. It's really nice to have you on board today because we've got uh, something a little bit different to chat about that people don't always think about. So you do inspections, building inspections, and you are also a building surveyor as well. Is that right? Uh, Not quite. I'm a building inspector. I've done most of the modules for building surveyor but chose not to go down that path it's a bit litigious. It is a little bit, isn't it? Yes. But you're a th- thermal performance assessor as yep. well. Yep. What other skills do you have, Wayne? Big, long list. I was about to say it's a long list, isn't it? You've been in this game for a long time. Crane drivers, dogman's tickets, trucks, scaffolding, working at heights, uh, thermal performance assessing, uh, lots of condensation horses just recently. Um, yeah. Been around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... With your inspections, you would have seen the good, the bad, and oh, you are kidding me. The ugly, yes. Yes, the ugly. Um, yeah, I, I sort of break uh, building inspections uh, up into categories of the building age. So there's a, the sort of the, the pre-energy efficiency 2003, so anything before that time, it's, I know it's going to have no insulation, but from an inspection point of view, there's going to be the usual maintenance. Usually when I walk, walk on site, I'm expecting at least a dozen items of just general maintenance to be done. And then as it gets older, you sort of compare the building with a like building, and yeah. there are some special things. I've been very, very fortunate to look at some really old classic Tassie buildings that are pre-1800s, pre so some of it back to, I think the last one I did was Bower Bank Mill, which is 1853. Mm, awesome. Which is a, yeah, an amazing building to look through. Um, and also the workmanship I get to see up in the roof in places where beams are notched together and they're numbered with Roman numerals so that they match together and all those nice little niceties. The brand new stuff scares me because... From a longevity point of view? No, or? just the, the actual finish of the building. Yeah. Trades not doing their jobs properly and, and often I end up with a longer list with a brand new building than I do with a building that's a couple of decades old. It has changed, hasn't it? It's all about the speed, cost. Yes, yes. And the other thing I've noticed is that um, the builders are still trying to do the right thing but they're so tied up with all the other things that they've got to do, the paperwork and... Paperwork's astronomical, isn't it? Trying to keep ahead. And they don't supervise the trades as much. And if they get, if a tradesperson gets to the point where he's got to make a decision about something, he won't ask, he'll just make something up. He's got time to ask. And that's where it can go a little bit pear-shaped. Mm. And I've been on a brand new is where flashing hasn't been finished off and one had no subfloor ventilation at all. That's, I remember that one. It's, yeah. I can't understand how that's even possible, you know. You know yeah. what I mean, though. Th- things, there, things happen, yeah, yeah. So for those who don't know, subfloor ventilation is the vents we put under timber floors so they don't rot out mm. in basic terms. So for that not going into a brand-new build and been inspected, yep. it's like 
you're kidding me. Mm. And the other one that's popping up more recently is condensation. And I'm involved in it as a particular suburb where the houses were built 10 to 14 years ago. And the ones that have got the elevated floors, they're rotting out and falling in. It's going to be mm. a, a big problem. And the insurance companies are walking away from it going, no, we don't want to know about it. Yeah. Because we had a story of I shared of one that we repaired. It was an insurance job, but they were actually going to demo the house. We were able to get in underneath and yep. figure out, redivert the water, more ventilation, more everything, and we're able to repair it. But it was yep. an astronomical cost. Mm. But it was still cheaper than pulling the thing down and rebuilding it. Yeah. So that's pretty horrifying, isn't it? It is. Uh, and I did one recently where it was a probably a nineteen forties build, and the roof had rotted out. So they put a brand new Calibon roof. It was back before the permeable papers, so it was just reflective foil straight on the battens, Calamon mm. uh, on top of that, and they sealed the roof up. And by like, the like it was for a bushfire attack level? Well, similar, yeah. Yeah, similar. Yeah, yeah. similar. And yeah. when I got in the roof, because uh, it was hardwood uh, rafters and battens, they'd been soaking up moisture for a, a couple of years, I suppose, uh, and it was just green mould everywhere and moisture readings at 30%. Yeah, right. That's the thing I've noticed too is how the roofers are doing things quite differently because they're told to make it really tight under mm. the new building regs because of the bushfire. Yep. Then they go replace a roof on Albert and they do it exactly the same. Yep. But they need to be Breathable. loose. They need to breathe. Yep. You've got to be able to stand there and you can see light everywhere. Correct. Yeah. You know, and that's the big difference. And that's pretty scary. But I've also seen where they've actually, some of the new roofs where they screw them down. Yet they haven't compared the old way they put nails in, and then when we have a high wind, it actually rips the roof off. Yes, you know because they haven't screwed the battens down. Correct, and yeah. then vice versa, they haven't screwed the rafters down. They've actually ripped up, <laughs> taken the whole frame with it. You know because just replacing a roof can actually rip your whole roof off with the right wind conditions. Mm. And you see that a lot in in cyclonic areas in Queensland where mm. the whole roof goes. It's not yeah. just the cladding. The whole. Well, we had that goes. in Hobart about four years ago. We got involved in a few jobs and and brand new roof on a. Old, it was about a seventy-year-old house. Yep. Just peeled it off. The frame went in it, landed in someone's backyard up against yep. their house, and it was all came down to how they fixed off to the battens because it just pulled the whole frame off. Yep. There was no give. Mm. So you, you would see all sorts of the modifications done to houses, not understand the ramifications. I.e., the roof can't yep. breathe. I've seen it where old heritage places where they don't have damp-proof courses, they put concrete straight up against it and they've got damp-proof problems. Yep. You know, there's all the, there's reasons why the older buildings were built in a certain way yep. so they could breathe. Correct, yeah. And that, that's a common one where people just pour concrete in and think that's going to fix the problem. And then the, the other common one too is people pulling out internal walls, thinking that it's, they're just cosmetic, get rid of that one, get rid of that one, not realising that they're load-bearing and can have ramifications. Yeah, have that curved ceiling, <laughs> you know, look. <laughs> can happen. Can happen, yeah. Yep. Yep. What other things? common one is uh, in the roof space, insulation bats thrown all over the place by electricians mainly. Not putting them back. Yeah, just chuck them out of the way and leave them. Sometimes they're piled up. Well, and, and they just leave them there. Yep, just leave them there. So That's pretty ordinary, isn't it? A lot of that. Uh, some roof spaces where the insulation's still in the bags. Oh, why? Just didn't get around to oh, installing it. So you've got really good thermal resistance underneath the bag for that little <laughs> quarter of a square metre. <laughs> it does my head in there. <laughs> and the other thing, um, 
people don't realise is that uh, insulation in bags has a, a use-by date on it because if it's compressed for too long, it won't fluff up to its full yeah, width right. after time. Yeah, okay. So a few years ago when the, that insulation scheme was uh, in full swing, mm-hmm. supported by the federal government, and mm-hmm. people were buying container loads of insulation out of China, when they stopped it, um, there was this frantic effort to try and ditch it because they knew there was a use-by date on it. And, and, and the other thing was a lot of people were borrowing interest-free money to buy the insulation to try and make quit out of it. It was a crazy port. time, wasn't it? It was quite insane, yeah. The idea was wonderful. concept was... Well, there's been several of those initiatives and the concept is correct. Uh, the installation and execution is... Well, unfortunately, with the installation install, people die. Yeah, which um, was extraordinary. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, and that comes down to work, safe work practices. Mm. So what's some of the craziest things you've seen done to houses like i've seen some ridiculous modifications alterations i've seen tree stumps holding up floors i've I've seen was it granite rock mortared in place supporting a wall the engaged pier one had to be wrapped around the sewer pipe still holding a floor and they couldn't figure out why the floor was all bouncy yep Uh, the mold one is you know the condensation mold one's a big one that's coming up all the time now but it's on the modern homes which are really tight, I find, mm. and and what t- certain heating as well, yep. at times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, wet areas are uh, always uh, an issue. Yeah, wet areas uh, like bathrooms. Yeah, I was under one two days ago, and particle board flooring reading thirty three percent under the ensuite, so it's just leaking out somewhere in there. So you've got to rip all that out, start again. The the waterproofing code just changed on the first of May, so. Now it's sort of like extra dollars to mm. to do a, a re- refit, but also with that, like in Tasmania when they brought in the new Act, you know, sixteen, there was no requirements to inspect this. Mm. Yet it's the biggest failures, one of the biggest areas of failures in brand new homes is the wet areas. Yet no one's inspecting it. It is uh, extraordinary in that the ABCB have known about this since the nineteen nineties, uh, and yet, like I said, nothing's been done. And, and really. It, even though the waterproofing code, the new one, says that there shall be an inspection and there shall be evidence of the waterproofing membrane, still doesn't go far enough as to protect I, the I can't figure it out. If it's the biggest failure, component failures, mm. the most common failure, why wouldn't we go out of our way to reduce that yep. and make it law? Because it's the consumers. They don't know. They shouldn't have to know. No. All they want is their nice bathroom. Yeah, Not rocket science. So... I, I, I cannot figure this out for the life of me why they don't have accountability in place for this. So is this for new homes and, you anything, know, renovations? And additions, yeah. Yep, anything like that. So why is it not checked? I don't understand. Because the government in our state in particular didn't make it as part of the mandatory inspections under the legislation. We argued this through you know, part of the Building Design Association of Australia. We argued this. Says this is ludicrous. It's known fact. This is one of the biggest areas of failure. Why wouldn't you inspect it? Now they get certificates. That's fine. And certain businesses are very reputable, and they will do it really well. And here's my certificate. But there's plenty of other guys that don't. There's, they even made it to a point where you could put a bathroom or an ensuite in Tasmania, and the only uh, application you need to make or any permit, sorry, is for plumbing. That's it. Nothing else. It's just ludicrous. And the other thing is alterations and additions where the homeowner does their own reno yes. and, and they've got no idea of waterproofing. 
So they'll just put particle board down and at the most they may put an undercoat paint over the top of it. That's it. Still put plasterboard around the showers and the bath and paint it and make it look nice and yep. sell it next week. Yep. Seen plenty of that too. Yep. Isn't that terrible that a consumer can buy something and there's no protection? There is no protection. Buy beware. Definitely yeah. buy So way. that's why you're very handy. But you can't see this, though. No. In your inspections, you can't see this, and no inspector can. No. And there's a, a Australian standard for the pre-purchase inspection, or general inspection, AS4349.1, and it says it's a visual inspection. Uh, the criteria is that you are comparing this house with a like house of same construction and age, and you can only see what you can see. You're not allowed to tear things apart or probe mm. or do anything mm. else mm. so a very good painter that's called in and they say to paint everything and i've seen the tops of heater control panels painted and every window painted they do a really good job of painting everything but mm. <laughs> it's all hidden can't see anything yeah pretty scary it is it is and for a, a person that's buying a house which is the usually the, the biggest uh, item in their life that they're going to do and then have no real protection or recourse on it is quite amazing. Oh, I find it extraordinary. Because if you buy a, a car in most states and territories around Australia, you, you have an inspection done and, and a lot of the places, uh, the RACs, will want the car for at least three hours and I've got one hour to do an inspection on a house that's how many dollars more and yeah, exactly right. part of their life for the rest of their life. And I'm all, and we've discussed this too, is actually researching at council, what permits do you have for that property? Yep. So, you know, that pergola out the back, does that have a permit? Does that extension to the house? Does the actual house have a completion certificate? Correct. You know, in, in it's extraordinary. There's a lot of it where they don't have it. The stats, the AOBS stats in Tasmania for completion of houses, you look at the permit to completion ratio is extraordinary. So if you're a homeowner and you had a house built, sorry, you're getting it built or extension, you make sure you ask for that completion certificate at the end of it. That's your golden ticket. Correct. And the other thing is that often the conveyancing seems to be a little bit loose. Depends Uh, who you go through. There's some that are very good. Because I've been to a a fair few places where persons bought a house 5, 10, 15 years ago uh, and now all of a sudden all the things on the property are popping up as illegal works or not completed mm. or whatever and it's like well, we ask the question did the previous conveyancer actually have a look? But it's not a requirement for the conveyancer that's what they get in Tasmanian School a 337 report and that tells you nothing other than what it has been approved for mm. and that's where I believe there's a few of the conveyances here locally in Launceston I've noticed they're getting them go to council get a um, form signed by the current owner, you can do your research. It's very hard for them to understand the drawings and what a permit is if Mm. you don't know the process. So I've helped a number of people with that myself and um, pointed out, well, this shed doesn't have a permit. Now, what's made it confusing is some sheds don't need permits anymore, Mm. but it might be built over a pipe or an easement or whatever like that. So there's a lot of research can be done by a professional to do that. Mm. to reduce the chances of you buying a piece of crap or buying a problem, I should say. Yes. It's because you just don't know, you know. Well, in theory, there's there's over 20 inspections that you can have prior to building a house. Yes. And the pre-purchase part of it is just one. Yeah, right. And a lot of people don't even bother with a pre-purchase. They just go, oh, yeah, it looks all right. It's all right. Yeah. 
I've got my builder mate to check it out. I think people worry about missing out on the house too because from a contract point of view, yeah. once you, you've signed, like it's not going to look favourable for you if you have more conditions on that contract. Correct. And when the frenzy was on, it was standard that the building inspection got scratched out. Often the finance, financial clause got scratched out. Yeah, that's right. Uh, turn up with your dollars, put them on the table and expect to get a phone call to offer more dollars. Uh, and it was quite insane and I I because I went on a journey with a lot of clients they'd ring up and go oh we're looking at this place and we'll put in an offer and then two weeks later oh we missed on that one but we're going to do this one and then you know eight properties later they're still looking and some of them got cunning and they said oh this properties have got an open home on Saturday can you just go along and have a look and see whether it's any good and we'll put in an offer in and so it was it was hard for them to do their due diligence. Do you think it'd be uh, wise for the government to bring in mandatory inspections and mandatory thermal assessments on existing homes? Um, the thermal assessments is interesting because the government was looking at doing uh, star ratings at point of sale. Yeah, and that's why I brought it up because I remember that back in two thousand and eleven, I think it was. Yeah. And it got muddied by media. This is in Tasmania, by the way. Yeah. Well, it was going to be a national scheme. Yeah. Because Canberra have had it for yeah, that's right. Two two and a half decades. So it's tried and tested, but it got muddied by media and other vested interests. Uh, but it's now quietly coming back on the agenda again. And I think it should be. Uh, and it's disclosure for the the buyer as to the performance of the building, as to mandatory inspections. For the purchase of the building, Tassie's probably one of the few states that doesn't have it. Most of the, the other states, it's not mandatory, but the banks require it straight off. You, you, you want to buy a house, bank says, give me an inspection first and then we'll talk later. Probably because termites. If the, if the bank has a house and it goes pear-shaped and they want to sell that asset off and it's termite-ridden, well, there's no asset. So that's why they require it on that's the bigger right. island. Yeah, Whereas now, here, we don't have termites. So oh, we've got termites, but they're, pretty, oh, yeah, they're dopey so little buggers, aren't they? They're, they're not like the... Uh, <laughs> Ferocious. <laughs> the, the turbo termites on the mainland. No, we're pretty fortunate. We've got other stuff that's <laughs> probably not real great. Well, those, uh, the master builders have had four reports of people trying to bring them in to start an industry here. So What? Termites? Yes. They've tried, tried to bring mainland termites here and breed them up to start an industry. You're kidding me. That's our society at this That's point ridiculous. In time. Yeah. And it's only the fact that our winters are still I was cold about to say. <laughs> and wet enough that they can't get a foothold. <laughs> Just because uh, the mainlanders generally don't like our weather down here sometimes. Either you love it or you hate it. <laughs> You'd have to get you know, the Tasmanian tuxedos for each one of these ants. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's ludicrous, isn't it? It's people in society. Yep. Where people think there's a dollar to be made, they'll um, try it out and oh, see whether it works. Extraordinary. Yeah. And it would wreak havoc here. Um, oh, it would do. Eventually. I'd take them a while to get going. But yeah, anyway, we might end up having to build houses with ant caps on the top of oh, our gee. stumps. And That's all we need. Yeah. And they'll, if that doesn't get it, condensation will. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's our own problem. Well, it's not exclusive to Tasmania. I mean, it's all up. Everywhere, isn't it? It is. Different climate zones, different reasons, but we're not building to the conditions and how our lifestyles Correct. work. And as it's going to be really interesting with some of the states going to the full seven stars, the level of impact 
this is going to have on the construction because I don't. We strongly feel a lot of designers, architects, and I feel that going to Seven Star without the proper advice from uh, the through the NCC, we believe we're going to have a, some pretty sick buildings in in the years to come. There's going to be ramifications all around yep. massively. Yep. You know, for us, it's educating our customers, but some of this is quite expensive to to try and deal with. But in Tasmania, well, I'm pretty stoked with the government here, where they're investing a lot of money. I heard the Victorian government's investing money here as well in research yep. on the condensation, which is wonderful news. But it's a bit late when you've already given the approval because you're doing the research after you've given the green light to go ahead with it. That's right, yep. So, yeah, I can't see how that's going to end very well. Mm. And the other thing is uh, the occupants of houses uh, have changed their lifestyle over the last couple of decades. Yeah. Um, and you ask people whether they open windows anymore and it's like, no, never opened any window in my house and... It's all controlled within and moisture builds up to the point where it reaches saturation point and runs down the windows and people don't understand why it's running down the windows. No. People, open your windows, let fresh air come in, get the old air out, do it on a regular basis. It's healthy for you. Yeah, and it's not part of our culture either. We've never no. had to do it before. A few years ago we had friends in Germany and we stayed with the friend's mother because they didn't have room in their house. And every morning the mother would go up, have her breakfast, have her cup of tea and then she'd go around the house systematically and open every window around the house and by the time she got back to the first one she would start closing them again. But in that time there was enough interchange to dump the warm, moist air out of the building and bring in some colder, non-moist air. And yeah. that was her exchange and she did that each day. But they knew the problem. Correct. And it was part of their culture. Everyone did it. But I've noticed in Tassie, people won't. No. It, especially in the middle of winter. Why would I open the windows? Turn the heat pump on. That do, that fixes it. It does. Sorry, we call it heat pump. Every, mainlanders call it AC. Um, we use it more for heating. But I find it quite amazing that people don't won't even consider it. They don't want to lose... Because of the cost of heating now, it's getting worse, they don't want to waste the heat. Mm, correct. And yep. after the 1st of July, we're now power goes up another 20%, it'll be mm. even more conservative about running your house correctly. And n- not necessarily what... You can put extra insulation in your house, but it still doesn't help the condensation issue generally. No. Yeah. No. So you're now starting to see that with your inspections. You'd be seeing a lot more potential... or You're starting to see the problems of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's, it's subtle. Like, I'll do an inspection and, and someone will say, oh, the, the exhaust fan in the ensuite's dripping water when after you've finished having a shower. You come back and there's a pool of water underneath the exhaust fan. I go, oh, okay. When I have a look in the roof, I can see that the, the flexi ducting is 25 metres long when it should be like a metre and a half and it's condensating in the, the flexi tube and building up to the point where there must be pools of water in there and it's then running back down out the exhaust and onto the floor. Mm. And then from that you start to get mole growth because it's being fed moist, warm environment every day and mould growing and then people starting to get sick, so can have ramifications. Yeah, huge. Is it also, though, the contradiction with other areas, for example, bushfire, where, you know, they're encouraging people to really tighten, you know, everything on their house, their windows? Well, just any gap, any gap, you know, ember mash... Yeah, ember mesh and tight and everything else. As we're talking about the roofs, it's this whole policy now of making roofs super, super tight. Yeah. So where where's the balance then? Is my question like where 
why is that not considered all the other aspects? There was no consideration to the balance. When that was brought in, it was like, this is bushfire. This is what we deal with. This is how it's done. No testing or consideration was done on the effect on the building. It was a knee-jerk decision. It was very much a knee-jerk. Yeah. And I understand to a point, but now we've got these other problems. We build the thing so tight. Well, parts of it, it's not really, really tight. Mm. Not like how they do in, in other parts of the world. But it's enough to cause major problems. So, and I believe um, the Building Codes Board are, are investigating that on, on how to bushfire related to uh, how we live and how we design houses going in the future. But I think it's far too late. It should have been done years and years ago. Yep. But the uh, fire authorities have brought this in, and I totally understand why they brought it in, but it's causing other problems. Fix one thing, break something else. Well, it's also caused a bit of dilemma for building surveyors because they're always looking at their risk. Where, where's my highest risk? Yeah. And when you look at condensation will destroy a, a modern pine house in five to seven years and the chances of a bushfire happening are one in 20, one in 30. Depends where you live. Yeah. yeah. So building surveyors are going to go, well, my condensation is a greater risk. I need breathability in the building mm. uh, and then be at risk of fire attack uh, at some later point. So it sort of puts them in between a rock and a hard place. It does. Mm. Yeah. We might wrap up part one there. Stay tuned for the next episode with part two with Wayne Gorman and more stories about his experience with building inspections. Thanks for listening to the Building Design Primetime Podcast. We'll catch you next time. You're listening to the Building Design Primetime Podcast.